Well, welcome back to Big Fish Little Pod. We are excited to share this week's podcast, but we are in the midst of the virus epidemic, pandemic, and we've decided that we're going to just move ahead with our our process. Um, if you're you're in the midst of a situation where you need to talk about the pandemic a little bit more, then go back to last week's uh, podcast, and that's where we talked about it. And but today, Amy and I are very excited because we have a guest with us. You have heard us mention my son, Amy's brother, Andrew an awful lot on this podcast and so we wanted you to get a chance to meet andrew yeah so we are so excited to have andrew with us hello yay we're all social distancing in various states um but we're connecting here on the podcast and we're actually gonna spend some time talking with andrew about the highlights of his spiritual evolution um, but first, Andrew, would you just kind of introduce yourself and give a little bit of background on what's going on in your life now? Yeah. So uh, my name is Andrew Hollis. I am 35 years old. I've been married for the past two years. I live in California and have been for the past 11 years working at a university as a recreation director. Um yeah, I grew up in Rhode Island, obviously, and went to school in Pennsylvania, and, and now life's brought me out to the West Coast. Uh, I am currently in a uh, stay-in-place, don't-go-to-outdoor to places. Cool. So um, we kind of want to just start in the beginning um, and then see what your spiritual life's progression has been. So um, starting from the top, I mean, we were all together. Well, you and dad were well, together. Well, you weren't. <laughs> I guess I wasn't there for a few years. Yeah, let's really dig into the first three years uh, where it was just me. The best part of Andrew's life. It's actually where most of my spiritual development came from. <laughs> but... Um, as a kid, like as a young person, um, what was your idea of God or what was your idea of spirituality like? Yeah, I, I'm, it's a good question. I think uh, first it was uh, kind of a non-negotiable. So I remember as a kid, uh, you went to church and you went to church on Sunday and specific things I remember about uh, the structure of, of my spirituality was you know, if I was, say I was going to sleep over at a friend's house on Saturday night, I was going to church with them on Sunday. And if they were sleeping over my house on a Saturday night, they were coming to church. So uh, it, it was a, a very structured approach to spirituality. Like these are the rules. This is what we do. We arrive at church. We sit through children's story. You then go in the back and color and learn uh, Bible stories. Um, and so for me, it was very much a... Um, kind of a, I don't want to say thoughtless, but it, it was a, it was a, a structured routine. And so my, my idea of God uh, at that time was, you know, God was guaranteed, God was consistent, uh, God was somewhat unknowable, like a, a mystery in some ways, but 
also very present. Um, I remember sitting outside waiting for the bus and uh, praying, I guess, that uh, that a certain color car would come up the street and seeing <laughs> if God would answer my prayer. Um, <laughs> and, and I like I also would, in the middle of sports games, you know, pray that I would make the next shot. So God was really transactional for me. Um, <laughs> Did it ever pay off? Uh, not super consistently. <laughs> um, and I think that's one of the things I look back on now and kind of informed, you know, my, my spiritual development as I got older was, you know, not, there weren't always red cars and yeah. I wouldn't always make the basketball shot and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. And in that way that you said that God was kind of, or church was kind of a given, did you feel like that was um, put upon you by our parents or did, was it just kind of, that was just- it's hard to say. I, I mean, probably, uh, but not in a negative way. Yeah. I think that uh, a lot of things are put upon you by your parents, eating vegetables <laughs> or um, hiking or all sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think like the expectation was set. Um, I don't think it was until like my teenage years, maybe a little earlier than my teenage years, where I started um, like pushing those expectations a little bit. So I'm, I'm sure they were they were set by, you know, even when we went to, the only time that I can think of that we didn't go to church. Um, I don't even know if we prayed was with uh, Grandma and Grandpa Zabrowski. Um, that that might be an exception. But even then, I don't think so. You know. So you said that you remember kind of like a bit of pushback as you got into like your early teenage years. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at some point, um, and probably for uh, silly reasons, uh, immature reasons, I wasn't as convinced that that was the right way to do things. And I remember like skipping church if I had a select soccer game. That was on Sunday. Sometimes we would have to leave early and I'd miss church. Um, and then I, I remember like feeling tired or just not wanting to go. Nothing against our father, but uh, <laughs> sometimes I just didn't want to go to church. You don't have to um, qualify that. <laughs> and, and and so I think... Um, yeah, it started to started to ask the question like, wait, why are we doing this? Why is this a why is this a no questions asked situation? Yeah, um, and starting to push back a little bit. Yeah, I see. I remember as a as a kid, back to me because it is all about yeah. me. Um, yeah. I remember as a kid getting to the point where. I just didn't feel like going to church that day and I was old enough to stay home and I would fake sick. Yeah. Like you might for school. Um, and I, I remember the first time they let me fake sick and, and went on to church without me. And I found out roller derby was on, on Sunday morning. (laughs) Um, did you ever have any of those times where you wanted to stay home and mention that and your parents dragged you to church? No, I, I, I don't know that I was ever dragged to church. I think I, I mean, you can speak to this more than I can actually, but I think as a, as a kid, I had a decent understanding of my responsibility. 
Um, and so I thought that like part of my responsibility was to go to church. I, I remember even like fast forward a little bit to 13, 14. I remember sitting in at the interview at North Foster Baptist Church with the family interview part and telling them about my responsibilities as a as a pastor's yeah. son, that I would be active in youth group, that I would be attending church, that I would, you know, so I, I think even when I was younger, I knew that there was an expectation that this was a responsibility of mine as a family member, probably as a Christian, um, yeah. and then also as specifically as a pastor's as son, a uh, to be present. And that with, with any other responsibility, uh, there are some times that you don't want to do it. Yeah. I think the the big area that was my development was maybe less uh, like, I don't want to do it. So can I get out of it? And what else is there? And, and maybe a little bit more as I started to like uh, grow up um, and mature a little bit more of like, I'm in control of like, I have some control over my life. Um, yeah. And so some of that control means just saying no to things that, uh, that were always an automatic yes. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Almost to try them on for size, yeah. you know? Yeah. That's interesting because, yeah. like, my dad was a chaplain in the Navy. And so he went more to, like, a job. And we didn't live in a parsonage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have that experience like you did. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 My memory is huh. like us being in church. I always wanted, I mean, my memory is I always wanted to go to church, but like us being in church and you like always reading the Bible during the kind of slow parts of church. Yeah. So I did, there were a couple things that I would do. Well, and maybe that's the other part. Church to me was not sit and face forward. I think children's story and then the children's programs afterwards kind of kept things interesting. Uh, but eventually at some point uh, I sat through all of church and yeah. um, for for a chunk of time, probably for like two or three years, uh, when I was seven or eight or nine years old, I would do two things. I would either read the bloody stories. Um, so like read about <laughs> the wars and read about, I remember like uh, some, some dude riding his horse and getting his head caught in a tree and hanging himself. <laughs> Someone like that. Uh, uh, David was like super bloody. Uh, so I'd read about that and yeah. feel like, ooh, look at it, you know. And then the other thing I would do is use the bulletin as a maze and try to like find the fastest <laughs> way from the top to the bottom through the words. Um, yeah. So I would sit on the on the floor, facing the opposite direction, and use the pew as a table and uh, color and draw yeah. and complete my maze. So nice. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> So then, again, this is my memory. You might have more um, pit stops on the way, but so you kind of have that like being a good boy thing. Then you have a little bit of rebellion, but then you got baptized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think maybe when I was thirteen or fourteen, we so we we as a family took a couple of years off of the script, right? Like Dad yeah. left uh, Tiverton the first Baptist church yep. and went to foster and the two years in between dad was out of formal ministry. Uh, he, and we didn't, I remember going to like a Quaker church here and there was a church in Cranston, but we weren't necessarily like, I didn't feel like we were a member of the same church. So in some ways that was in and of yeah. itself, a break from the script. And, right. totally. um, and so when we got back into it, one, I mean, 
I'm 12, 13 years old. I have no idea who I am and what I want. And like, there's all sorts of confusion and emotions and hormones. And, and so I think like 13 year old me rolling back into foster was kind of like, I know how to be a really good pastor's son. I know how to be a Christian. I know how to go to church. I know how to live in a parsonage. I know how to be a member of a youth group. So I was kind of like, finally solid ground. Like uh, we had moved three times in two years, get me back into it. And, um, And then I think two things led to my baptism. One, let's again, going back to the script, when you are, you know, ready to commit, which in some ways to me was like a, an action of adulthood, uh, you got baptized. That was the, that was the script. Um, and so yeah. for me, like it was a little bit of like, look at me, I am becoming an adult and doing this symbolic thing that uh, represents my adulthood. Um, and then two, just like, I think I did. I get baptized with other people, Dad. Yeah, with the yeah. Braytons and. Yeah, there were a few of the one other kids person. All yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure four. part of it was Julie Brayton was getting baptized, and so I'm getting baptized. <laughs> yeah. Julie Brayton's getting baptized. Whether that was that was probably some combination of having a crush on Julie Brayton, Brayton, and then also like I'm going to be a better Christian than she is. <laughs> She definitely won that one. <laughs> yeah, they, no, I lost. Yeah, but it, <laughs> but I think I think that that was probably so. It was a combination of like that was the next step, really wanting to solidify myself in a foundation that I understood and that was was a little more comfortable for me. And then you know the standard fourteen year old peer pressure. My friends are doing it. I'm going to do it too. Yeah. So in the in the Bible, I mean in the baptism, Dad, what's the question that you ask them? I ask three. Um, do you believe that God loves you so much that He gave His Son, who loves you so much that He gave His life, um, so that you can find forgiveness for your sins? Um, and and therefore, do you accept? Jesus as the savior of your life, but also the Lord of your life. You Letting the Holy Spirit fill you and guide you, do you promise to, to live a life worthy of his love and calling? And I think, I think in, for each one of those questions, the answer was obvious and automatic to me, but it was also, I knew the right answer, right? Like I've right. been I'd been right. going to, and I, I'd imagine that would have been really hard for you, dad, because uh, I not only knew the right answer, but it, it felt authentic in that moment. Um, obviously, as my spirituality shifted, that that wasn't as as uh, much of a like forward thinking promise as, it, as yeah. it might have been intended to be at the time. Yeah, because I was surprised at that moment that you wanted to get baptized. Yeah. Um. Because I always thought you were a little more independent than that. Um, and I remember probably, obviously not very well, um, trying to say, are you sure you want to do this? You shouldn't do this just because Julie and Kim are doing it. Yeah, no, and I, I remember, so the, the things that I remember, one, you pushing back uh, and trying to, like, delayer the the potential, um, you know, not, not as authentic reasons. So I remember that. 
And the thing that surprised me was we didn't get baptized like in the ocean. You know, you decided because Kim and Julie wanted to do it in the baptistry, that's what we did. Yeah, I also think that speaks a little bit to like the the structure of it, like by yeah. leaning into the structure. Yeah. Um, again, like in, in student development theory, we call it following formulas. And I yeah. think like oftentimes when you go through a place of dissonance, uh, you either like push through and come out the other side with some tools that allow you to be, you know, continue your path to authenticity, or you go back to the thing that was comfortable. And I think for me that that's where I was at, at 15. Yeah. And did that's you feel like you had a personal relationship with God at that point? Like you didn't speak to that at all. No. Yeah. So I think that's the, that's the interesting thing looking back on. Um, I'm not sure that I ever felt, I had a personal relationship with God. I, I don't know that I ever felt that God was like comforting me personally. I don't know that I ever felt like God, uh, like I mentioned, he didn't always bring the red cars when I asked. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't, I, I don't know if this is uh, revisionist history or not, but I, I didn't, I don't know that I felt like I needed God very much. Um, right. In, in part because my life wasn't hard. Um, I didn't have like tremendous sorrow or sadness or loss. Um, and so the moments where I remember uh, feeling like I, I wanted God more present in my life were like when Grandma Pukas died. Um, yeah, moments like that. But I, I didn't, I don't think I ever did. I, I never felt like God speaking to me. I never felt God guiding my directions. I felt like a, my understanding and relationship with God was God is this huge blanket that covers the earth. And then he would like, he would connect with the people who needed him the most. Um, interesting. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. And and you you are using the same terminology I used when I described my spiritual journey, which was God. Whereas Dad was really speaking more about Jesus. Did you have any kind of connection there? No, I think Jesus was the main character of a movie that I watched a bunch of times. Um, you know, yeah. like I, I really understood who Jesus was. I don't think. I, again, I don't think I ever at this point questioned the divinity of Jesus. Uh, they, they really dive into, I think the, the Holy Trinity didn't really um, make sense to me, but I never tried to unpack that. Like, how can someone be fully yeah. man and fully God? Um, how yeah. does God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus interact with each other? Um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I looked at it in, in the relationship that made the most sense to me that there was a father and there was a son. And so they yeah. played out their roles. And so my father was dad and I was the son. And so God was dad <laughs> and I was Jesus. <laughs> but I didn't put you too often on the cross. Did no, I? no, no. You didn't, you, I don't think you put me on the cross at all. <laughs> and I didn't, oh, I didn't ever feed 5,000 with a couple loaves of bread. You know, neither one of us really played out our roles to the best of our ability. <laughs> But I think that was the most, uh, you know, the, the, the best understanding that I had was how it related to me. And that made the most sense. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Did you ever at that time consider being a minister? Because like our dad and our grandpa were both ministers. I, no, I don't think so. Um, I wanted to be an underwater photographer and a paleontologist. Um, I remember. Yep, during both of (laughs) those time periods. I hadn't given up on the NFL uh, at that point. (laughs) Right. Um, But I don't, I don't think... I don't think I was I was interested in being a minister at that time. I remember a young man saying to me, you know, I could be a minister if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, I'm I could, sure. I could I could do your job, yeah. you know. I, I, I don't yeah, yeah, I don't ever remember feeling like, oh, this is <laughs> this is so far beyond my capability. I've never felt that way for sure. Right. But. You could have fallen into that role because you knew yeah. it. And I think in some ways I was playing that role out with my friends. You know, I was counselor to my right. friends. I was kind of like the social right. center to my friends. People usually came over to our right. house. Um, yeah. 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 That's interesting. But yeah, no, I was never, the money's not good enough. You know, I couldn't. couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so for a lot of uh, folks in the modern Christian church, the place of drop-off for their population is when the kids that grow up in the church go to college and are suddenly confronted by new theories and new ideas and new behavioral patterns and never asked those difficult questions when they were in the, we'll call it safety of the church. Um, So what was that like for you? Yeah, so I think that was, uh, the church gave me and I think my spirituality gave me enough confidence to to go to go to college and to leave Rhode Island and to um, kind of go to a place where I didn't have a strong connection. I think the identity that I kept with me was athlete, um, like I wanted to be a football player and a golfer. And so I wanted to keep doing that and like veterinarian. Uh, you know, I went to college to to get a bio degree and to go to vet school. And those were the two identities that I was like, all right, like I've developed these in high school. I'm bringing them with me to college. Uh, Christian, not so much. Like I didn't go to church on my own when I was in college. I didn't, I didn't talk to people about my faith or spirituality. I didn't connect with people based on faith. And so I think, yeah, that was the point where uh, just through a realization that there's a different process and different opportunities, there was a little bit of a deconstruction. And and I don't think it was ever uh, like anti, well, not maybe not ever. I, I Initially, it was not anti-religion um, or anti-Christianity. It was just this kind of like, well, I missed a Sunday and then I missed two Sundays and then there were other things that I wanted to do. Um, and I, I didn't feel like I missed the routine of Christianity um, and I didn't feel like it was hurting, uh, my development or my life or, um, any of that. Yeah. yeah. And then my sophomore year, I read a book on Buddhism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't right. know but it was, it was Zen, Zen Buddhism. It was not this, it not focused on suffering. I did not like the suffering part. No, you um, didn't. You didn't like the nothingness much either. No, I really like, so again, like looking at other spiritualities and other ways that people live, the pieces that were, I think, authentically important to me was um, my life matters and I am special. Um, And 
and then trying to figure out like why that is was the big challenge so like why they didn't like the I didn't like the religions or the belief systems mm-hmm. where my life didn't matter and I wasn't special um but I didn't quite understand how all that made sense so your life matters and you're special yeah cool yeah and what what made you read a book on Buddhism? Was it for school or you just picked no, it up? No, I, I went through this weird space in my sophomore year where I went down to the library and kind of like rediscovered the library um, <laughs> and uh, found out there were books for fun. I ordered a couple of books. This is the first time that I read Biff. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so ordered ordered a couple books online that weren't for classes and found a couple of Buddhism books. And I think honestly, like... It was partially driven by, like, it was a little trendy and trying to think yeah. about what is my niche where I could be kind of cool to other people and have something interesting to say. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, it was it was probably the first time sophomore, junior year in college where I started to realize there were multiple pathways to get in the direction that I wanted to get. Um, and... Uh, and that Zen Buddhism could be one or, you know, satire could be one or uh, potentially like atheism or agnostic beliefs could be one. But like the, that it wasn't it wasn't like this is the one path. And so I may skirt around it, but eventually I need to I need to make sure I'm going in that direction. There was a lot of a lot of stuff like that. So at that point, though, those paths weren't paths to heaven right so i i don't know i have a a weird blend and this has been pretty consistent throughout my life i think when i was younger i thought i was going to heaven because i was doing everything right um (laughs) when i was like uh teenage i thought i was going to heaven because compared to other people i was making more good decisions than bad ones Um, (laughs) and then when i was in in college i you know kind of didn't really worry as much about heaven, but also wasn't really worried about, am I not going to heaven anymore? You know, um, yeah. I never, I never had a space where I felt like, Ooh, maybe I'm not going to heaven, you know? Yeah. Is there ever a space where you said there is no heaven? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, that's like college was just uh, my time from, 18 to 22 was just kind of a reaffirmation that there were times where I felt like I was um, authentically living my purpose and where I was also like, I felt like I was special um, and doing the things I was meant to do in times where I wasn't. And so uh, I think those four years were teaching me how to listen to how to hear the difference between those two times. And, and I didn't really find that there were many times where I was in church or where I was um, specifically focused on my like Christianity that, that gave me anything different than the times where I wasn't. So what helped you figure out the times that you were versus the times that you weren't? Uh, I think I didn't know it at the time. And and this is like the tough part about development is so much of it is guess guess and check or just mirroring someone else. Right. Right. Um, Right. And so I think like for me, there was a combination of social reinforcement. So uh, like if people liked me, 
then more times than not, I felt like there was some positivity there, which eventually I kind of deconstructed that as well. Um, There was a, this is where I started to like really lean into if I could function independently. um, That was a, that was a positive and that was a authentic piece for me. Um, So uh, like if I could do something without, taxing someone or without requiring things from other people, then that was, that was something that was authentically mine. Um, And I I think there was a space of, I think with, so with academics, for example, with another identity, I found that uh, I really struggled with biology and OCHEM. And then when I started doing more physiology and nutrition, I worked harder and did well at it. Um, But I think Mm. the work mattered Um, There were some classes where I didn't have to work and did well, and those weren't uh, really valuable to me. So during that time, I think uh, this idea of like working hard to achieve something meaningful mattered. Um, And and that was kind of elevated. So like little pieces of my value system and how I could be special and and how I could um, be authentic started to pop up. Um, yeah. and, and then my cool. ability to reimagine and redefine how I was going to, uh, work through those systems, um, was, was kind of a, a critical part for me. Cool. And did you ever worry that those things might not lead you to being a Christian, which dad or mom wouldn't approve of? No, I think that that's another thing that helped with the, with my development was I never, I didn't ever feel like there was a single thing that I could do that would, um, take away mom and dad's approval. Um, I think I like Christianity, not Christianity, being a veterinarian, not being a veterinarian, being a football player, not being a football player. Um, I think there were totally times where I felt like I'd was you know not making the best decisions and that maybe I was disappointing my parents but it was never like a deeply rooted sense of disappointment it was always like ah, I, was, I was being dumb and they're probably frustrated with me um yeah but yeah I, I was never worried about how am I going to tell dad that I don't believe in God yeah in fact it was probably the opposite it was kind of like I can't wait to tell dad and argue <laughs> with him about this <laughs> I remember a few of those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was, that was a part of the development too. I think like towards the end of my senior year, I had built enough of an understanding of my own beliefs and started to realize that some of the formulas that were given to me when I, and you know, immaturely, right. Some of the formulas yeah. that were given to me when I was eight, they don't make sense to me anymore. Yeah. Um, right. And, and they shouldn't because yeah. the way you're taught something when you're eight shouldn't be the way that it makes sense to you when you're 22. Right. But yeah. there was this feeling of like, you know, almost the Santa Claus, uh, yeah. you know, like, oh, you, you kept something from me and now I know and, you know, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. So there, there was a little bit of like the rebellious um, kind of anti-organized uh, religion piece from yeah. maybe like. Uh, sophomore junior year of college probably like for a decent chunk of time I mean, you probably have better yeah. better self-awareness than than i do about that um because in, in the moment you don't feel like you're uh you know like rebelling you feel like you found this newfound authenticity and knowledge right. that no one else has and it must be you know 
yeah. must be yeah. shared from the mountaintop so that everyone can hear the truth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember five, about a five year period where um, you had come to what I believe is a correct understanding that um, organized religion is a farce and has has like if if there is a god it conceals god more than it represents god you know and i don't know if those are things that you would have put into words but i remember a five-year period where you lumped me in with the system <laughs> yeah and, oh totally i i i mean i i think in and, a lot of ways yeah you know and i didn't even believe any of the things you were telling me i believed you know but but and so that was a that was the hardest communication time for me as as you as you were going through that period yeah well um, i think i think for for me and for many people in their early 20s, like hypocrisy is the greatest sin. Right. And so anything that I saw that was hypocritical, um, like if I felt like the, you know, the church and the spirituality was asking people to be kind, but I saw unkindness happening right. or, you know, even like historically looking at the wars and the, right. you know, the witch trials and right. like these really <laughs> rough things. There's just like all these, all these pretty awful things that yeah. happen in the name of organized religion. Yeah. And it, so like, for me, the hypocrisy was, well, you can't separate that and talk about what happened, what's, what, what's happening now. Right. Um, and, you know, as you get older and as you start to understand, um, and I think I have a clearer understanding of the world, you start to realize nothing is without hypocrisy. I mean, I work for an outdoor programs that believes in supporting and sustaining uh, the environment. And we drive gas powered eight passenger vans everywhere we go. Our carbon carbon emissions are <laughs> like awful. And, and yet here we are doing it in the name of environmental sustainability. Right. So yeah. you, you start to learn like everyone's a hypocrite in, in all of their ways. And the key is to try to like, uh, make value-based decisions and, and find that balance. But when I was 22, 23, 24, for that five-year period that you're talking about, there was none of that, you know, unless you were a hundred percent in, then you were a hundred percent out. And so any area where I saw hypocrisy, um, it was, it was a, a frustrating experience. And when I, and when I saw, you know, your role, dad, it was as a, um, like critical central leadership position in an organization that was full of hypocrisy. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That he had dedicated his life yeah. to. Basically. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's like a super selfish, really immature. It's not something that I, I'm pretty casual talking about it now, but looking back, yeah. I think yeah. it's, it's not, it's not a great place to be. And it's definitely not like a community focused place no. to be it is a me focused place to be right but that's part of what you do between right. 20 and 30 right, right. As you figure out who me is right, right. Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i have the yeah. same yeah. i have the same things where like i have an example where like i remember andrew you needed a ride you were in boston 
And I was like, I have no money. I can't get there. I was like, if you pay me the money for the gas and you pay for my parking, then I'll come and get you. But otherwise I can't. <laughs> like, I was like 25. And I think back on that now and I'm like, God, like, what the heck was wrong with me? Like, how was yeah, I? I did, so, I did not like that. How was I so <laughs> selfish? You know? <laughs> so I think. Yeah, and we all have those things. Yeah, you like, were expressing yeah. that kind of like selfish, non community like perspective in this way but like yeah i think what dad's saying is right like once we've all lived through that stage then it's a lot easier to tolerate when other people are going through it so is there normally in these faith journey things on religious podcasts i get to ask so is there a time you remember accepting jesus into your heart um Mm, yeah but the question here would be, is there a time you remember where you said, I'm an atheist? <laughs> um, I'm not a specific one. No, no, I don't. I don't think there were. I don't have like this moment in time where I whatever the version of like baptism is for, for atheists. I, I, I didn't have like a proclamation. Um, I do think like, uh, like during the frustration and anger and like the, during the deconstruction and the rebellion from religion, I kind of like decided of all the path, you know, there are all these paths that people can go on. And instead of saying like, you know, any of the paths can be good for people. What I said was, you know, this is the right path. It turns out what I was doing was the wrong path. And now I found the right path. And, and, um, and, and I think like, that moment where I started building my own rules for what the right path is, was kind of when, when I, I stopped believing specifically in, in Jesus and God. And, and I think a lot of people who go through deconstruction of religion, it, you know, you'll hear folks say like, I asked too many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I just, in those moments, like I started asking some of the questions like, wait, what is the difference between Jesus and God and the Holy spirit? Yeah. And, uh, what about these things that I just assumed didn't make sense because I wasn't able to understand them, but maybe they didn't make sense because they don't make sense. Um, and how is it like, you know, and, and I think those, those moments were where I started saying, all right, I'm going to move forward um, with the understanding that, you know, I'm not breaking a personal relationship with God. Cause I don't think I ever had one. Right. And uh, you know, maybe Jesus was, like more of a main character in a story rather than like a, a real representation of God on earth. Yeah. Um, so then what did you do with stuff like where were we before we were born and what happens after and like, who are you? Like, yeah. So like some of it, some of it, I, I leaned pretty heavily on uh, there is pretty strong confirmable information uh, that explains it. You know, like if we weren't created from, uh, you know, from God and then ultimately from a rib, where were we created? You know, there there's some other solutions. There are other options uh, that that make sense. Um, you know, if the, if the earth isn't 6000 years old, you know, how old is it? There's some, you know, there's some information out there that, you know, so some of it was piecing together uh, information from organizations that I didn't think had the same um same bias or the same motivation uh to to present a certain story yeah um 
And then some of it, some of it is simply like just because we don't know doesn't mean that it's miraculous or that it's um, that that it's that it's a a, a, uh, a godlike being. Yeah. Um, like we we cannot know things and uh, not have to create a reason for them. I remember uh, like sometime when I was twenty six, twenty seven. Um, reading a book that said, you know, like we as a, as a culture right now have no problem looking at Greek mythology and saying that's ridiculous. You know, it's good stories and we can get lessons out of it, but there's obviously not a sun God who's on a chariot who brings fire across the sky every day. Mm -hmm. And we're able to universally agree on that because it's not our mythology story but at the time that was not mythology to the greeks that was their religion and and so i i think like being able to recognize for me where was i kind of creating my own mythology um and and where were there points where i was just looking to uh have an answer and willing to go with something that was easy yeah or something that that was explainable with with this idea that it's not explainable you know yeah and did you ever dabble in the area of kind of spiritual but not religious or did you throw like the spiritual baby out so yeah so at at some point um in my late 20s i kind of uh realized that like my militant atheism was pretty painful and that it wasn't kind and caring this is kind of the rebound right Mm -hmm. and yeah Um, like all of a sudden, uh, like it became pretty important to me to be thoughtful about the ways that like my impact with others. And this is also when I got, you know, my first job and my job as an educator and as an outdoor educator, uh, requires me to like both provide information to people on how to successfully navigate the outdoors as well as, um, like understand that different people come from different places. And, and I started to get more positive feedback in my ability to support and recognize meeting people where they are rather than dragging them to where I think they should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that comes confidence that, you know, you have skills and you have something to bring to the table, even if, even if it's like meeting people where they are and not, and not dragging them to where they should be. And, and so at that point I started to be more open to, uh, like people can be really good people, even if we have different belief structures. And the the juxtaposition there was, but what if those belief structures n- impact me in a way that I would consider negative? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really struggled with like, well, you believe what you believe and I believe what I believe, but your, your beliefs in certain circumstances affect my day-to-day action. And that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. At the same time, I had all sorts of friends who had all sorts of beliefs. I obviously had family members who had all sorts of beliefs. And I think as I was, you know, getting a little older, I was way more interested in like caring for those people and not, and not like judging them a whole lot. Um, I mean, that's when, you know, what was it, like late 20s, early 30s was when we were hanging around like the I, I went backpacking uh, in the Sierras and got picked up 
I hurt my knee about halfway through, got picked up by a family that was incredibly spiritual and very conservative. And they had, you know, six kids and they showed me the most kindness that I've ever seen in my life. They brought me out of the woods to a in and out burger where they fed me and then and eventually took me down to a guest room that they had in their house where they like bought me my favorite ice cream and <laughs> let me stay there and recover for a couple days. And um, I ended up babysitting their, their daughter when she was sick. And, uh, and then they get, you know, they're just incredible kindness at a time where I needed it more than anything. Yeah. Um, I, you know, close friends whose belief structures did not, aligned with mine. We were hanging out with uh, Lena quite a bit at that time. And, and she was so committed to her faith and, and practice it in so many ways. And I didn't understand it and it didn't make a ton of sense to me, but she was very kind and her family uh, was one of the, I considered them a second family out here um, and and still do in so many ways. So like at, at that point, the, the, you know, that's where, again, you keep breaking down this hypocrisy, it means you throw the baby out with the bathwater um, right. and uh, and you start to realize like it's 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 okay and you know and then like eventually you chip away your own like well who am I to say that my belief structure you know is the right one because I understand it better and uh, and you start to get a little more humility in that way yeah um, um, yeah yeah it's like I, I, I don't even know how to phrase Like, during that time, do you think there were, like, are there things that you would consider, like, spiritual practices that you participated in? Or it's hard. That's I, just not really been an area of life that you've concentrated. So I remember, yeah, I remember in that time, like, the big argument that dad and I had was, like, dad's way of understanding uh, me and supporting me was to uh, talk about how, like, for me, the wilderness and the mountains are my church and that's where I see God. And I remember being incredibly frustrated about that. Like, how can you, how can you minimize my, you know, like, don't, don't put, don't put my experiences in your language and and tell me that I'm just like, I'm, I'm experiencing God. I just don't see it in this, you know, I do not like that at all. Um, But I think like when you look at, when you look at the spiritual practices, um, like I, 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 uh, I started to learn a little bit about spirituality and higher education as a part of my job and spirituality defined by the, the folks who research it is asking the bigger questions, figuring out, uh, what your place is in the world, um, trying to understand like good, um, and evil, um, you know, trying to figure out where we come from and where we go, you know, so like none of those had anything specifically to do with God, right. um, and the more I could digest that and the more I could understand it, um, the more I, the more of those uh, pieces I could uh, I could be at peace with and, and be OK if someone used their language uh, to understand me, um, even if it wasn't my language. Yeah. Yeah. And you have students that that misdiagnose you as a Christian. Well, more so now. Yeah. So, and, and that's like the, the next step, right? So the end of that frustration with people, um, it, it, it was like April 3rd, 2016. Um, dad and I went for a hike. Yeah. That date I remember it, like we went for a hike when dad was visiting and I mentioned to him that there was, 
this person I was online dating at the time. And there was this person online who was clearly Christian and that I wasn't Christian. And I remember dad saying something to the effect of like, be, be aware that when you use the word atheist, um, there may be some connotations to that, that could be, um, that could maybe not represent who you are in the way that, that you deserve to be represented. And dad said it, looking back on it, he said it in a really kind way, like a heads up. Um, if you actually are interested in this person, don't be fake, but also be aware of the connotations that come with your, with your belief structure and the language around it. And I like dad and I got into it for maybe an hour. Um, and, uh, and I, again, didn't like that, but as is the case with me, typically like when I'm angry and when I'm arguing, I'm trying to prove a point and I'm trying to win an argument. And then after the fact, like I am processing and listening. And even if it, feels like I wasn't going to budge an inch. Typically it's, it's afterwards that I'm willing to move and come back with it with a different perspective, which is, I can imagine incredibly frustrating. Also like a very nice quality is what I was thinking actually. Well, yeah, but I don't, it doesn't happen in the space and, and I don't even give like a glimpse of potential. I don't like leave (laughs) the argument with any sort of, Oh, I'll think about this. It is like, we're done and either I won or you lost. Um, but but I, I don't know if it was that. I think we both sat on that bench feeling like we both lost. Yeah. I think that was a it was a really rough discussion. Um yeah. because it turned into like much more than what it was. I think dad was trying to give me some advice and I think it turned into like uh, me feeling like dad needs to put me through his lens and dad feeling really defensive because right. like you said, you're, you've been, and like, I, I also feel you've been very open and supportive and uh, like you, you have not represent the structure, um, but you represent like the, the ways that you feel you can work um, and, and use the structure for good. And, and I think like, so you you felt like I was misinterpreting that, which I probably was in the name of argument. And I felt like you were, uh, like painting me in a picture that fit into your belief structure instead of, uh, right. instead of like just accepting my belief structure, which, which you weren't. And, yeah. and so after the fact, that was when I like stopped and thought about it and, you know, Four days later, went on my first date with uh, the person who is now my wife, who is uh, Seventh Day Adventist Christian. Yeah, yay! Um, Everybody who doesn't know your story just went like, "What?" Yeah. So yeah, that, and that's that's the the and I, I I wouldn't say like that's the the end, right? But that's the newest, the last four years has been a new wave of like identity development and trying to figure out authenticity. And, um, and it, it started with the, yeah. with the reflection from my conversation with dad, uh, thinking about like, okay, if I am interested in this person, one, like I'm interested in someone who's Christian and is very open about that. And so like, how do I move forward recognizing that that that's true and then two like what did dad say and how do I like very thoughtfully represent myself accurately um but recognize that there may be parts of my spirituality that unless you have an hour to listen to a 
condensed and edited podcast, you may not <laughs> fully understand um, by a simple introduction. Yeah. Um, and and so I think like that that's the piece that um, that I, I walked away with. And so I sat down on the first and second and third date. And I think because of my conversation with that, I was able to like meet my wife instead of meeting some person that seemed kind of cool, but I, you know, had, had this barrier that I couldn't, couldn't get past. So in a lot of ways without dad and that hike, I don't, I'm, I'm not with my person right now. I would say without that hike, you know, um, it just happened to be you and me. I mean, there, but I feel like you and I went through something in that afternoon that, you and Tara could have gone through and probably wouldn't have ended up the way it has ended up, you know? Yeah, it's possible. Uh, I think so. So, so. you know, that was a, that was a good use of that time. Um, But yeah, but now we, we get, we get to this point where I say at least once a month, if not more than that, that my son, who claims to be an atheist, who is an atheist, that's been a, been a hard time for me to get to that sentence. Um, my son, yeah. who is an atheist, is absolutely the kind of person I want in my church because he's authentic, because he's kind, because he's thoughtful, because he's he cares about the moment and tries to bring his best and tries to bring the best out of others more often than not in his life. That's who I want my people to be. Yeah. And, and I think that's like, yeah, that, that's the, the piece that's interesting over the past four years. Um, I think not only like, I think it's very important for me and, and my wife to, uh, that that I am able to love her because of her spirituality and not like in right. spite of it. That was one of the things that I learned right. really early is like, she is the person she is because yeah. of her belief in Jesus and because of her spirituality and her spiritual community. And so if I love the person that she is, uh, there is no way for me to separate that from her spirituality. And, and, in doing so, um, I think I, I was able to really fully lean into this idea that people are people and their paths are their paths and they're individual. And, uh, and, and it, it doesn't do me or, or anyone else any good to eliminate their, their, their process from who they are. Um, and I started to see, like, you know, when you, when you open your mind to that, you see, the unique blend of, I mean, when we're, when we're authentic, when we're, when we're authoring our own lives, it's a weird blend of experiences, but it makes sense to us. Right. So like in my program for the last 11 years, even before I met Tara, uh, before every meal, we take our hands, put them right over left and hold our hands. And we do a chow circle, which includes a moment of silence, which it looks a lot like praying before you eat. Um, (laughs) 
and uh, and and in the evening, like we'll oftentimes share a reading, and oftentimes that reading is a story, and then we'll reflect on the story and try to figure out how it makes meaning in our lives right now. Um, and the things we appreciate about nature uh, are oftentimes that we don't fully understand it, but that we are a part of it, and that if we care for it, it will care for us. Um, and that there's a peace and a silence and an understanding that comes with being uh, unplugged and, and not being distracted. Um, and, and even I, I think like uh, the big challenge for me was going back to church and, uh, and hearing a message and trying to make meaning of the message. And I, I very much remember the first church service that we went to together. The, the pastor was talking about humility. And it was a time where, you know, as you can imagine, if one of the things you want is to feel special, then your tragic uh, flaw is, uh, is the ego um, and, and maybe lacking some humility, which has always been one of my big struggles. Um, but he talked about humility. And uh, uh, I think he quoted C.S. Lewis in saying that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Yeah, um, I like that. And he also talked about like, none of that matters without Jesus. And if you think that Jesus is a human and not God, then you're missing the point. He talked about all this other stuff that normally would like trigger me to say like, well, forget you, buddy. You know, I'm throwing out this whole message. But in that moment, what I needed to hear was the message on humility. And I needed some way to understand that being humble didn't mean minimizing myself. Um, It meant like elevating myself and thinking of other people more than I thought of myself. So I, I remember hearing that and I remember walking away from that thinking, you know, the vast majority of the service was not meant for me, but that, that part of the message was, and if I can be open-minded to this, even in the moments where our pastor is calling out atheists for missing the point. um, And I've met with him and he's a great guy and we have a friendship um, and he knows I'm in the crowd. So when he's saying that, he knows I'm there. Um, (laughs) But even even in those moments, like I'm able to like take a breath, move past it and and try to figure out how does this message make sense for me? Um, and and it has opened me up to, like you said, like being mistaken as a Christian. I've had a lot of students who have come up to me because I've talked about something I've heard in church or because I've shared my experience with with Tara and her spirituality, they've come up and knock on my door and said, you know, I knew it. I knew you were a Christian and I have so many things that I want to share with you. And it's finally <laughs> nice that I have to pump the brakes <laughs> and say, well, again, like there is no real way to explain my spirituality here. And I think I can still be here to support you in this way. Um, but I don't believe in God. Um, and, and I think like the, it, it it's also been really hard for Tara. Tara used to say that I was like, I had my own spirituality and then she felt comfortable about like agnosticism, which I think in some ways, maybe agnosticism is a little more accurate for my worldview because I don't think anymore that I have the answer and that everyone else is who doesn't believe what I believe is wrong, right. which I think is truly right. atheism. I think they like you like right. each of your right. each of your pathways and your spiritual journeys are just as authentic as mine um and it's it's right. the seeking more than the destination. However, like for my personal belief, I am atheistic in that I don't believe that there is a god for me. I don't have a relationship with god. Um that's that's not how I operate. So it's it is 
even Tara's gotten to the point now where she really struggled saying the word atheist. Um, and now she'll say it. But when I hear it, I, I even don't don't think like I, it's almost going back to the conversation that we had. Like, well, yeah, atheist is fair for my beliefs, but please don't attach all the things that are associated with that to me right. and don't make an assumption about how I can uh, interact with right. you and engage with you and support your spirituality because of that term. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I understand yeah. that better. In the same way that I say, yes, Christian is a fair definition of my beliefs, but don't attribute all the things that go with that to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's the, that's the, um, that's the space that I'm in now. And I think it's, it's a, it's a long journey that has all those checkpoints that we talked about that that have kind of led me to this position. Um, It's also, I think I'm more comfortable now with this being an evolution um, than, than a like finally we made it you know i think there were plenty of times in my life where i was just a little relieved to be there and not have to think about it anymore i think i've really committed to thinking about uh my spirituality for the rest of my life and it's one of the things i love about my marriage and my wife is we will be forced to think about our spirituality and our differences and our similarities in a way that if we had married people who believed a similar you know, religion or a similar uh, structure, um, we may not have been forced to do that. Um, and I, yes. I think that that really aligns with how I, I want to live my life, um, like constantly being thoughtful about that rather than kind of set it and forget it approach to like, I know yes. that God exists, so I never have to think about it again. Or I've been, I, I don't fully understand it, but I get the Holy Trinity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, never going to revisit that again. I think we will revisit that pretty frequently. Um, yeah. And even like, I mean, I, I can tell you the next evolution for us most likely is going to be if, and when we have children. Um, right. And, and I think we have a couple of years where they're not going to ask questions and they're not going to understand routine. Um, but pretty quickly, we're going to have children who are going to have to figure out a, a way to explain how mom and dad, have two different thoughts and beliefs and there are some things that dad does to support mom and some things that mom does to support dad. And it's, it's, again, it's going to take a longer conversation than just saying I'm seventh day Adventist or I'm Christian or I'm atheist. Right. 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 No, it's so nice. I mean, it, it, I'm feeling, I think what dad was feeling after I told my story, which is, I'm so happy that you went through all that because I think like the person that you then become is someone who's really capable and willing to open the door when that enthusiastic Christian student comes in or when that atheist student comes in or when the Seventh-day Adventist student comes in or, you know, that you are now so uniquely able to connect with so many different yeah. types of people. And I, I think for me, some of the pieces of the journey that are very important now are like, I still want to work hard. And to me, the harder path is to try to figure this out on a day-to-day basis and to, right. to put the of spirituality in and so that's the that's the path that makes the most sense um for me uh i also like want to 
be special. Um, and the, the way that I can be the most special, the way that I can be the, the best version of myself is to impact other people in a positive way. Um, and the, the only way for me to impact people in a positive way is to be able to like have as many open doors as possible and have as many, um, positive uplifting conversations with as many people as possible. I think the, the number one thing that I take away from Jesus is Jesus had an incredibly unique ability to make the most complex, um, or challenging lessons relatable to everyone. Um, and that that's a skill, um, that's a a gift and that allows you to, uh, unify, um, all sorts of people and, and I really, really value that. And when I think of all the stories and all the examples, I think that's, it's the space where I can look and say, you know, maybe, maybe the best, maybe the best teacher, maybe the best example of trying to do that um, was Jesus. And, and I think I see that in yeah. dad. I see that in the way that he preaches. Um, I saw it this past Sunday when he literally got his hands all dirty and threw seeds in a, in a <laughs> potted plant. Um, and I, I've tried to, uh, I think that's going back to like that statement of I can do, I can do what you do. I think that's the part that I still try to do my very best is, is figure out what are the ways that I can make meaning to as many different people through as many different lenses as possible. And then, in return, I'm sure you feel this way, dad, and I'm sure you feel this way, Amy, in return, like I'm processing through that process as well. And, and it helps me understand my world and my beliefs as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's so nice. (laughs) Um, Is there, is there, as we kind of wind down here, is there anything or any big part of the story that you feel like you didn't get to share that you would want to share? No, I think the only thing that I, I look back on is um, I think there are major, well, I was going to say there are major parts of my story that didn't get the proper emphasis. I think um, the support that, dad and mom like the constant support and the feeling that i was always going to be uh accepted and supported um is kind of undersold in that story i think that that consistency one must have been really challenging um and two was necessary for every every part to happen um and and i think i mentioned it but it it was at every point and at every turn at every developmental space, a critical component that could have shifted things quite a bit. It wasn't, it wasn't terribly difficult. Um, (laughs) And if you are lucky enough to have children, um, I don't think you could be lucky enough to have um, an easier child to raise. Talking about me, Dad, yeah. right? Yeah. About- and either one of you, because <laughs> you all were thoughtful and caring in most of the things you did, and and when you did stupid things, you knew they were stupid, 
And when you did mean things, you knew they were mean. You didn't need to be instructed a whole lot. I'm proud of who you guys are. And I, I, I think it's worked out pretty well to this point. So we'll, <laughs> we'll keep on going. Uh, the other thing that probably deserves a little more emphasis is uh, the last four years have really, um, like my, my time with my wife has, has really helped me um, I think yeah. be a better version of myself. And I think that's a, like a really, I always knew that was an important thing that I would look for in a partner. And I didn't quite know exactly what that meant yeah. or how that would play out. But I think um, when I look at my relationship with Tara, and again, the, the fact that from a spiritual lens, um, it, it requires honest authenticity at every moment. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it also wasn't um, a question. Uh, there was like, it, it was, how are we going to do this? Not, can we do this for me? And, uh, and, but I think that that was like a really important four year period and, and will be an yeah. important rest of my life period to, to help, help me continue to be thoughtful and to try to be uh, humble uh, as it was defined to me and to be open to different ways to experience um, spiritual uh, growth. Nice. Nice. So this week, think about what you believe and what you don't believe and what group you're associated with and what makes you different from the group that you're associated with because you believe something different. And maybe you will begin to find out that you're very special. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Big Fish Little Pod. We are having such a great time making this podcast, and we're really appreciating all of the feedback and input that we get from you. Please comment on the podcast post on my dad's Facebook page or send us an email at bigfishlittlepod at gmail.com. Thanks. See you next time. No one's going to sing the song, really? <laughs> My name is Andrew, and God created me to be <laughs> Okay, I'm stopping. Uh, no, that's the one that you got to put at the end. <laughs>